0: Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan. And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27-24. And the team storms the field to mob
1: Chris Perry.
0: WCBN Sports. 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. WCBN.org
1: on to attempt it for the wolverines Holds her breath and arbor as navar gets set places down kick is up it's long enough it's good it's good michigan wins the game michigan shocks washington and the wolverines are victorious All righty, well, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And assuming we're on, I'm Jim Dwyer. (laughs) Assuming we're on, well, yeah, (laughs) things are definitely on in America. Boy, those fires out in California. This summer it was Greece on fire. I mean, the whole place. Uh, Southern California looks like it's <laughs> revisiting uh, Rome or something. It's uh, not good out there. Uh, it's ironic, by the way, that just last night, 60 Minutes, had a little piece on uh, why the forest fires out west have been increasing both in number and severity. And it's mainly due to dryness. I was going to say, it's it moisture. Have anything
0: to do with water
1: conditions. It's global warming uh, once again. And uh, the expert that they had on, I don't recall his uh, his name, but he was a, a specialist in forest archaeology, and he showed using tree rings and also even going out in the brush, so to speak, that the moisture content of the ground, there's just this fuel underneath trees on the ground that uh, is is really what the problem is. Well, that's why the fire burned for so long in the Upper
0: Peninsula this summer. Yeah. It's that substrata.
1: It's that brush. So it really doesn't have anything to do with logging policies uh, or environmental policies. It has to do with global warming. And Georgia probably knows a thing or two about that. They're running out of water down there. There have been increasing uh, calls to divert Lake Michigan's water uh, from the Great Lakes water. All Every few years, that insane chant. And we know out. from all the evidence here in the state of Michigan that the Great Lakes are down uh, substantially, though nothing like what's going on out west or in the uh, sort of unpredictable drought that is occurring in the southeast, because normally the southeast gets hurricane precipitation to uh shall we say, refill the reservoirs, and that just hasn't happened this year uh, in that area of the world. Anyway, you can count on pretty much nothing happening Uh, from an American global warming perspective. Al Gore is still the butt of a lot of jokes. I don't think he's running for president, by the way. The
0: the, uh, movement to draft him uh, has an increasing air of desperation about it, too. Yeah, and
1: I think it's sort of motivated to stop Hillary, though I think the media has overstated Hillary's strength. And I find it amazing that in these Republican debates, they're already assuming that she's the nominee.
0: Well, of course, that's who they'd like to go up against for a number of reasons. But, uh, you know, the numbers in the bank account don't necessarily guarantee anything. I mean, I know national politics and gubernatorial races are quite different, but look how much DeVos paid to lose fairly substantially.
1: Exactly. And I think that Hillary is in good shape if there's if the field remains big, but it's quite obvious that some of the marginal candidates on the Democratic side are gonna have to drop out at some point. And I actually see a four person race continuing for quite some time. I think that Bill Richardson is a dark horse under the famous uh, characterization of that, just as Mike Huckabee is a dark horse in the Republican Party. Mm. He probably benefits, by the way, by Brownback dropping out. I think Brownback's big problem was that he was about as interesting as a... (laughs) Piece of toast? ...shovel. I mean, he was just terrible. Uh, (gasps) Although, interestingly, in the debates, he always acted as the peacemaker so when the candidates began to attack each other he would sort of intervene and say now 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 calm down let's not talk bad about one another etc etc and it's interesting that he wasn't in the debate last night and that was the first one that sparks flew
0: well i'm sure whoever ends up the chosen one will uh find a nice place for mr brownback and his uh panel of experts and advisors
1: yeah well he had just those skills of course was hoping to cache his uh sort of um one issue issue abortion into some sort of support from the religious right but it didn't materialize and obviously kansas is not a uh, bastion of political fundraising potential uh the poor people in kansas uh hey, they they don't have that kind of money. Bob Dole was from Kansas, but he was a little different. He was a national figure, somebody who had actually been a vice presidential candidate, majority leader, minority leader, et cetera. And he'd been around for a while. So he was uh, a very different person than Sam Brownback, um, henceforth known as the Sh- Senator Shovel from, <laughs> from Kansas. And, of course, the religious right had their... A uh, little get together this weekend, and it's interesting that uh, Romney won the quote straw poll with Huckabee finishing second and Ron Paul,
0: wow, now <laughs> finishing this, third. And this, uh, this mini group was meeting where
1: I forget, but it was the Tony Perkins uh, Family Research Council Dobson. Uh, they okay. had a big. I, I think it was actually in Washington,
0: interestingly. So, the hookers didn't have to go too far
1: now, and I'm sure Larry Craig was was tied up somewhere, <laughs> maybe next to John McCain, who was fit to be tied, who had a joke about being tied up <clears throat> last night in response to the Woodstock uh, Museum that Hillary Clinton was behind um. Uh, he had an actual amusing line that it was a, an experience involving pharmaceuticals. But uh, I don't think pharmaceuticals were actually at Woodstock, John. I think it was,
0: no, it was <laughs>
1: cannabis sh- and uh, LSD. Maybe not in somebody's
0: basement, yeah, probably. Not
1: pharmaceuticals. The brown stuff. I mean, yeah. I don't take that. So. Don't take the brown acid. <laughs> I took the brown acid at Woodstock. You liar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, John McCain indeed was tied up uh, in uh, Indochina as a prisoner of war. Um, a, a quick comment, by the way, about the the murder of Lucky Dubé. Um, first of all, kudos to Brian Tomzik, He uh, did a great tribute to Lucky Dubé on his reggae show on uh, Saturday night. Devoted a good hour to Lucky Dubé, who I think will rank as one of the top five reggae artists, all time in my book in terms of just a really cool um, Ja Rasta sound. Um, Well, especially
0: coming um, as he did from South Africa. Yeah. And the real danger, I mean, that's the great irony is that he's killed in a stupid, pointless crime when he really risked his life for
1: a number of years speaking his message. And that's one of the interesting things that I wanted to comment on. There's actually been a new report and this, of course, is according to one of Lucky, uh, some of Lucky Dubé's supporters. But uh, there's actually been some claims that he may have been a. This may have been a, a political, yeah, a political hit disguised as a, a carjacking. So uh, keep your eye on this story. Uh, Lucky Dubay obviously uh, has been promoting a message of peace and anti-war, and it's these sorts of artists suspiciously. Uh, John Lennon comes to mind, several others that have been murdered uh, under circumstances that need more explaining. Uh, this could indeed well have been a carjacking, but we'll see. Um, it's interesting that today's New York Times reports that five people have been arrested. Um, friends, and I'll just quote from the Michael Wines article, Friends of Lucky Dubai told Johannesburg newspapers on Sunday that they suspected that he was the victim of a contract killing. However, Mr. Opperman reiterated that investigators believe that Mr. Dubay was killed in a botched attempt to steal his late model Chrysler. Uh, So we'll see um, if this all pans out, Um, but obviously a major tragedy and uh, a very sad event.
0: Uh, indeed, and as you say, a number of um, Bob Marley did not die from the uh, attempted assassination, but he somebody did try to kill him for yeah. his reconciliatory uh, um, message. And uh, when artists dabble in politics, they do risk their lives quite often.
1: And he, of course, was involved with Michael Manley's uh, political campaigns in Jamaica, and yeah. that may have been behind even the assassination attempt on him. Peter Tosh, by the way, was killed, and in- Jamaica and a murder, but that seems to have legitimately been a common crime uh, with tragic consequences. But speaking of political assassinations, we have the Benazir Bhutu bombing.
0: Yeah, and this is a troubling one because it's kind of a win-win situation for Musharraf, whoever the perpetrators turn out to be. Yeah. Because already, I mean, the series of articles that I've clipped from the past few days Uh, Articles, you know, looking forward to the uh, excitement of her return, huge crowds, uh, throngs, in fact, uh, flocking uh, to this parade, actually, all the way from the airport, a sort of political um, frenzy, almost, of excitement, and then uh, the recent news that uh, street marches are to be banned altogether, by Musharraf. Um, staggering number of people killed, 140 dead. Um, this from today's Financial Times. Parliamentary elections are planned for the first half of January, but uh, Musharraf's decision is that, uh, well, we're not going to allow political rallies in the streets um, until such time as they can be rendered safe. And so you've got to uh, make separate arrangements. Bhutto for her part, is calling for international assistance to investigate. She apparently has no confidence in Musharraf's intelligence agencies to uh, accurately uh, determine
1: the cause of this uh, attack. Though it's interesting that the street lighting apparently had gone dim uh, as her... uh, you know her vehicle it was it looked almost like an armored humvee. It was a very strange looking uh, reinforced truck um, you know, it was parading through the streets. so yeah, it's it, this is this Pakistan story I, I don't think goes away. Um, it's quite clear that things are tenuous uh too deteriorating. Uh, just to quote a, a former ambassador who's left the Bush administration who said, quote, we have to remember the U.S. doesn't have much capability to affect internal developments in Pakistan, said Robert Blackwell, the former American ambassador to India and senior official on the NSC during Bush's first term. Quote, what I'm struck by are the trends we see today. The Northwest province is ungovernable and a sanctuary for terrorists. The politics are fractured and deeply unstable. Musharraf is weaker and the army is uncertain about which way to go. And I think that those that captures quite well the, you know the overall situation. It's quite clear that the ISI um, has elements that are sympathetic to the Taliban and uh, you know, uh, the loose uh, confederation of al-Qaeda, so to speak. And it's quite clear that uh, both uh, bin Laden, who apparently has a new video out, and uh, I'm in al-Zawari are in this region of the world somewhere.
0: Um, yeah, well you got to look at the map and see that Pakistan touches on all these areas that yeah. are coming unraveled that have, you know, gotten worse since Bush's war in Iraq began and uh, for his clumsy uh stumbling speech over the weekend about World War 3.
1: Yeah. Brain damage well, to him for that.
0: It's pretty much already begun. I mean, essentially, this yeah. war in the Middle East to remake the Middle East, to kind of reimpose a Western orientation to the governments, the actual boundaries and borders themselves, many of which created by the British uh, back at the end of their run at world power. Um, it's a mess. It's a
1: shambles. It's all interconnected. It is. And, and you know, we continue to have these. Uh developments on the Turkish border. There apparently were uh, some Turkish troops that were actually killed in Turkey by PKK raids over the weekend. Uh, More troops and supplies are on the way. The United States, of course, is at the moment um, counseling caution, diplomacy, etc., advice that they haven't heeded. There's also this interesting development in Syria. Uh, It's been reported now that uh, the Syrian border... Uh, 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 Bashir al-Assad has decided to close the Syrian-Iraqi border and has imposed new visa rules. This, uh, according to uh, the New York Times over the weekend, um, and Syria it's, it just says, quote, has closed its borders to all but a small group of Iraqis and imposed new visa r- uh, rules that will legally require the 1.5 million iraqis currently in syria to return to iraq that's a huge number relative to the size of syria
0: and uh, its population
1: it's staggering i mean if you contemplated for a moment that the united states was uh, invaded by aliens from mars and they decided to make war on the united states creating uh the sort of analogous numbers of refugees internally displaced people We'd be talking in America about over 30 million refugees. We would also, of course, be talking probably about uh, several million killed as a result of this chaos. But it's uh, interesting. Um, the, the report goes on to note that according to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, more than two to 4,000 Iraqis have fled into Syria every day uh, in recent years and that Syria had announced these rules um, earlier this summer uh, and quietly decided to implement them on August 1st. Quote, under the new rules, Iraqis must apply for visas at the Syrian embassy in Baghdad. I'm sure that the United States uh, military is protecting the Syrian embassy in Baghdad quite, quite well. That, of course, is uh, probably not the case and that, quote, only academics, merchants with commercial interests requiring travel to Syria and taxi and truck drivers qualify for visas. (laughs) That's a pretty small field of people. Yeah. (laughs) Since we already know that that most of the refugees that have fled Iraq, in fact, are the middle class, more well-educated people, people with the resources to get out. They're in Jordan. They've uh, fled to Europe. And uh, this is one of the fundamental problems in rebuilding Iraq that the Bush administration didn't quite think about when they decided, we're going to smoke them out of their holes. (laughs) It's uh, scary stuff. Well, indeed,
0: we are smoking an entire nation out of its hole. (laughs) And by turning their
1: nation into a hole... And uh, by the way, there is a very interesting article in the New York, uh, new, brand new New York Review of Books, uh, the 8th of November edition, uh, that gives some more fascinating details about Bush's uh, impatience. And uh, these are about um, newly released conversations that occurred with uh, the Spanish Prime Minister, Jose uh, Maria Anzar who uh, was ins- interestingly defeated in Spanish elections that coincided with the so-called Madrid bombing several right. years ago, which uh, his government tried to uh, pin on ETA. And this was a clumsy, unsuccessful attempt, uh, because it was clearly uh, a al-Qaeda spinoff, al-Qaeda sympathizers. I doubt it was masterminded by <laughs> Bin Laden or Zarwari. These were just people uh, in the region that are sympathetic to that cause. But these are transcripts that have now been published uh, in the Spanish newspaper El Pais. Naturally, the American media has said nothing about this uh, story. So I would recommend uh, checking out the um, 8th uh, 8th of November edition of the New York Review of Books, article by Mark Danner, The Moment Has Come to Get Rid of Saddam. And these were meetings that were held in February of 2003, where Bush uh, is quite adamant. Um, And I'll just quote one brief little exchange that they had. Anzar said regarding um, the U.N. process, Anzar said, I agree, but it would be good to be able to count on as many people as possible, have a little patience. Mr. Bush said, my patience has run out. I won't go beyond mid-March. Answer: I'm not asking you to have indefinite patience, simply that you do everything possible that, uh, so that everything comes together. These were discussions that they were having about the UN resolutions that right. the Europeans were so uh, insistent upon, and the patience that he's talking about, of course, are in reference to continued work by the inspectors regarding... Uh, these so-called weapons of mass destruction. Mr. Bush in these uh, meetings actually goes into, um, you know, his his guard is quite, it's down here. I mean, he's basically telling Anzar, look, the Um, I'm not going to give the inspectors any time. We've moved the troops. I want the war to start by mid-March. This is what the military says has to happen, and this, of course, is what does happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Bush's ultimatum in mid-March that forces the U.N. inspectors out. It is false and continues to be a false assertion that is being made by many uh, Republican candidates. Uh, in particular, who are claiming that Saddam Hussein did not comply with U.N. resolutions and therefore the war was somehow legal. It was not. It was George Bush. And this article goes into the details about the impatience uh, and, uh, of course, about the uh, Condoleezza Rice uh, movement there. Mark Danner uh, has written uh, about the Downing Street Memos, a little tiny book called The Downing Street Memos, Uh, Once again, I would urge listeners to review those documents. These, of course, are British, high-ranking national security people reporting uh, in the summer of 2002 that the United States was, quote, determined to go to war uh, in Iraq. This, by the way, precedes any congressional resolutions. It precedes any U.N. resolutions. It precedes the return of the U.N. inspectors. And if you trace the documents back to the... uh new american century it it precedes
0: 911
1: yeah and uh so there there just continue to be more um troubling facts revealed about president bush's minim- minimal mind uh and the iraq war um and once again you know The lies from the White House about how we originally went to war are just exposed here. Uh, These transcripts, by the way, um, are from conversations that occurred in Crawford, Texas, back on the 22nd of February 2003 and um, were published in El Pais on September 26th of 2007. (laughs) So, uh, yes, the truth is trickling out about the Iraq war um but the tragedy and the burden that America will have in rebuilding the region <laughs> remaking the region uh will unfortunately go on for decades decades that uh Dick Cheney for
0: reasons of uh, health simply if not poetic justice uh, will never live to see of course he uh, too over the weekend banging the drum and uh in a sort of a rhetorical one-two punch following up on Bush's World War Three comment. Cheney speaking before an organization called the uh,
1: where is it here? The Evil Doers. Evil Doers. <laughs> the Convention of Evil Doers. The Washington Institute
0: for Near East Policy, an organization to which Dennis Ross and it's one of these think tank groups. Raymond Tanter, it's pretty much a group of neocons uh, and their outlook on the Middle East. So um, he's speaking to the already uh, convinced, if not convicted. And uh, according to this article by Sheryl uh, Strohberg in uh, today's New York Times, Cheney delivered a wide ranging foreign policy speech to the members of this institute singling out Iran for special abuse. Of course. And he uh, denounced them. It says here, Mr. Cheney reserved his harshest language for Iran, calling it, quote, the world's most active state sponsor of terrorism. Our country and the international community cannot stand by as a terror-supporting state fulfills its most aggressive ambitions. Well, it's interesting sometimes the extent to which, in the rush to denounce a hated enemy, Um, You reflect upon a strange mirror self. And uh, I don't think I need to quote Nietzsche here by saying that if you fight dragons, you become them. But I think it's pretty clear that Dick Cheney himself could be said to represent a terror-supporting state fulfilling its most aggressive ambitions when we look at the shabby excuses this administration has used to uh, perpetrate an incredibly destructive war. Um, and strangely, the article by uh, Cheryl Strahlberg goes on to say towards the very the penultimate paragraph, um, that the White House wants to avoid any perception that it would use military force to bring about regime change, <laughs> even though, in Cheney's actual remarks, he threatens serious consequences, and you know refuses to deny that those may be military. So of course, this is essentially saber-rattling, but I think her statement, whether or not it's Cheney's uh, intent, um, that the Bush administration seems to, and I'm quoting here from her article, seems uh, to be making an appeal directly to the Iranian people in the hope that they will rise up against the Ahmadinejad government. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Iranian people don't need to listen to, to George Bush or Dick Cheney mm-hmm. to tell them uh, about their own government. Um there's a, a, a changing and a very youthful demographic over there who are tired of the uh, oppressive regime of the Ayatollahs. And really, um, Bush and Cheney have themselves to thank for the political rise of Ahmadinejad.
1: Well, indeed, and it's interesting that also over the weekend and another relatively important development in the Middle East, uh, the um, Iranian negotiator, Lara Jani, I think right. is his name, Uh, has resigned, and he's actually been viewed as a more moderate uh, force uh, regarding the negotiations in that area. Uh, I'm also, of course, struck by Mark Danner's analysis in this uh, article in the New York Review of Books about Bush and his faith faith, uh, in his cause. At one point, Anzar (laughs) tells Bush, quote, the only thing that worries me about you is your optimism. Bush says, I'm an optimist because I believe that I'm right. I'm at peace with myself, and it's up to us to face a serious threat to peace. He then goes on to um, basically not care too much about the, the facts. And Danner continues, this is an interesting footnote. He writes, Bush came to office as a man who knew little of the world, who had hardly traveled outside the country, who knew nothing of the practice of foreign policy and diplomacy. Two years later, after the 9-11 attacks and his emergence as a self-described war president, he has come to know only that the lack of knowledge is not a handicap, but perhaps a strength. (laughs) (laughs) That he doesn't need to know things in order to believe he's right, and that uh, he can be at peace with himself. He has redefined his weakness, his lack of knowledge and experience, as a singular strength. He believes he's right. It is a matter of generations and destiny and freedom. It's, quote, up to us to face the serious threat to peace, unquote. For Bush, faith, conviction, and a felt sense of destiny, not facts or knowledge, are the real necessities of leadership. And then... He interjects with this fascinating footnote, and not just for George Bush, the mystique of leadership of faith over facts pulled others along in its wake. Condi Rice, for instance, makes a curious appearance in the discussion, assuring the president and the Spanish prime minister that she has the impression that Hans Blix, whose report is due the following week, will be, quote, more negative than before about Iraq's intentions. But in fact, the opposite happened. Blix will tell the Security Council that, quote, the key remaining disarmament tasks can be achieved, not in years or weeks, but months, quote-unquote. Here is what Blix told the Security Council on the 7th of March, 2003. By the way, this is 10 days before Bush's infamous ultimatum to Mm -hmm. Saddam to leave the country. His report says, quote, How much time would it take to resolve the key remaining disarmament tasks? While cooperation can and is to be immediate, disarmament, and at any rate the verification of it cannot be instant. Even with the proactive Iraqi attitude induced by continuing outside pressure, it would take some time to verify sites and items, analyze documents, interview relevant persons, and draw conclusions. It would take not uh, not uh, it would not take years nor weeks, but months. Neither governments nor inspectors want the disarmament to go on forever. However, it must be remembered that in accordance with the governing resolutions, a sustained inspection and monitoring system is to remain in place after verified disarmament to give confidence and to strike an alarm if signs were seen of the revival of any prescribed weapons programs. So Blix is telling the Security Council, you know, this is an achievable task. Um, We're there. Were doing the inspections, but it was very important when he said, "Not years, not weeks, but months." Bush didn't want to deal with any months. He'd already made his decision, and the decision that he made, uh, despite his uh, brilliance uh, and his the fact that he believes he's right, have had historically tragic consequences for millions of people in the region. And will saddle America with trillions of dollars of debt and, needless to say, affect thousands of lives here at home in the United States and literally millions of lives in the Middle East. Bush is not right. He is wrong. He's a war criminal. And for him to start rapping about World War III is pretty scary.
0: Yeah, the man is no savant, to be sure. Uh, Quite clearly, he's an idiot. And if you saw the photo of him in the uh, paper over the weekend of the uh, awkward three-way handshake between,